This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. We haven't done this for a while. It's been a long while. Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. I'd like to emphasize a, uh, well, it can be a misunderstanding in communion. I grew up in a church where you had to be all forgiven up before you take communion. You know, you have to make sure you go repent of all your sins. How many of you remember that? Yep. You may chuckle, but there's a reason why people think that. And uh, this next slide is like a, oh, I got to turn it on. Duh. We're not live streaming. Good. <laughs> come, before you come to the table, and there's a verse on uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. That sounds like you better examine yourself. You know, like you, you better. I haven't seen a wagging finger Father God yet. And the ones that I did see didn't exist. It was a misrepresentation. So I did a little bit of looking. This is a whole sermon, so I can't do the sermon. Because honestly, it'll take the whole time. And I, there's so much to cover on this topic. So let me give you the example and the encouragement. The example that I have witnessed of a sad way to view this a really, really good longtime friend of my family, uh, this wonderful woman. Uh, came to church every week, and um, she helped my family out. And when it came, to, came time for communion, she never once participated in it. She refrained from it because of a concept in her head, oh, I have sin in my life, therefore. Or, it's, you know, you get hammered with, I need to examine myself before I take communion. And, oh, there's so much to examine. I've got time to do this before communion. Like the last, right? The sad part was she missed the intent of this verse. And I'd like to encourage you all today to never let that mindset stop you from participating. I think the idea of examining yourself is connected back to a problem a couple of verses earlier in verse 20, something like that. Uh, yes. Where there was a big upset when they were getting together for communion. This verse has to do with us, our community, our family. It's a relational issue. Not this way. Do you know how I know it's not about sin in our lives? Is it obvious or not? It's because our sin was already taken away. Or was it not? Either it was or it wasn't. It was. Therefore, it cannot point to that. The, oh, you gotta get forgiven again. Or stay forgiven up. Because remember, you know, the, being saved is all up to you. And maintaining your salvation, right? <laughs> not at all. So... This idea of examining, this is more about relationships. You know, if you've got, you got some pretty good beef going on with your person, fellow person. Now listen, husband and wives, you guys deal with your own stuff, okay? Because that's, that's regular and constant. <laughs> Lots of forgiveness in marriage. At least they're supposed to be. Um, look at this from the perspective of examining yourself like this. This is a be- more beautiful perspective. 
How does God see you? From that lens, now examine yourself. Recognize you are clean. Recognize you are already holy. Recognize you are already righteous. That is one of the best self-examinations you can do. And with that mindset, now celebrate and recognize the body and blood of Christ. That's what this communion is about. Remembering that. Thinking back. Remembering your identity, which is really what this is about. Sometime I'll preach on it because it's, it's a big topic and we haven't got all day. So today, self-examine yourself as one who is already clean and pure and recognize Christ has already done this. See, if you examine yourself and find yourself lacking something, then you're not taking this properly. You're believing something that is not true. Do you see the problem? If you see yourself as complete now, ah, I can take this. I am complete. This is a picture of the gospel of good news. And good news has arrived for you and for me. So I'm going to have my helpers. All right. Last week we began this uh, topic of... um, uh, let me just get the power of the clicker. There we go. An encounter with God. What does it look like? And this is a big deal because the God that some people encounter really turns them off, including you and me. We've encountered concepts of God that are revolting, that are incorrect, I think. And uh, this little mini-series is about Finding out how God, first of all, looks at us. Can I have the clicker, pretty please? Thanks. First of all, how God sees us. What's, our, what's God's response to all of us as humanity? So this first part, we're still there. We couldn't finish last week. I want to show you from Scripture how God sees us. So having his mindset will matter because I'd rather believe his mindset than trying to make up my own even with all the voices I hear and all the contaminated thoughts, I want to hear from him. And then later we're going to take a look at what was God's response to certain individuals. How did he respond? And there's some practical stories in Scripture that show us a weird flip side that we didn't see coming. And then, of course, what were people's response to God? What's our response when we encounter the real God? So this is really about dismantling misconceptions and revisiting The fact that God is love. And sometimes we forget that. We really do. Lots of scripture today. Most of you have heard this story before, but I I want to take a look at the parable of the prodigal son. But you'll notice it doesn't say prodigal son. This is going to be read from the Passion Translation. And uh, this is going to show a powerful picture of how God sees us as certain individuals are represented in this story. I used to think, okay, it's about the prodigal son, the kid that screwed up and, you know, finally God forgave him. Well, that's my life. In my, in my family, I'm the prodigal, you know, because I was the biggest screw up, you know. 
I misbehaved the most. I got the most spankings. I got the most detentions at school. They sent me home with the homework little notebooks to be signed by mom to prove I, you know, there's homework and signed by my, you know, all that stuff. The list goes on and on. A history of clearly I must have screwed up that much that when you hear that voice enough times, guess what happens? You believe it. I'm still unlearning that. I am still unlearning that garbage. And uh, it's going to take me the rest of my life. And for some of us, I know there are others here that feel the same way. You just can't measure up to people's expectations. And when you live after living up to somebody else's expectations, your focus is on the expectation, not on being who you really are and who you were designed to be. This is big. So let me read for you this beautiful, beautiful text from the Passion Bible. I put it on the screen so that it's there and you guys can see it later again. But you're welcome to just listen because this will be a translation that's a little bit different than what you're used to. And I'm doing that on purpose. The reason I'm bringing in multiple translations is to make a point. So you don't become too familiar. Seriously, too familiar with, and you know, uh, what's that, John 3, 16, for God's love of the world, he gives only begotten son, and I believe in him, never die, but have eternal life. Yeah, 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 got it. Well, that's nice. It doesn't mean anything to you when you hear it like that. Or the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not what? Like, you've heard that one too, right? When I do funerals, I say, do you guys know the Lord's my shepherd one? They go, yeah. So, well, I want you to hear it differently today. That's why I'm doing the different translations. Because there's a beautiful little twist here and there. It says it just a little bit differently from the translator. Again, every translation we have in our English language is an interpretation. What? I thought Jesus read the King James Bible. (laughs) The Passion Translation. Hope you like this. Then Jesus said, by the way, this idea of the prodigal son or the loving father, that's not in the original language. The translators put that subtitle in there. You guys do know that, and if you don't, now you do. Really important you know that. That's a lot of add-ins which leaves a lot of questions, and that's good. Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, I don't think, I, oh, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Uh, by the way, if that were to happen today, I can just hear a backhand coming across really quick, faster than a whistle. Right? Like, you don't ask that kind of a question. You don't ask for your inheritance now. In fact, you're not even allowed to have it until you, well, until your loved one kind of crossed the river, croaks, whatever you want to call it, you know. Like, you can't. So, reality check here. So this kid's asking for money well in advance. So the father went ahead and distributed among his, the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all of his belongings, traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all that was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him, sent him out to feed the pigs. This is a Jewish story. You don't have anything to do with pigs as a Jew. They're called unclean. So this is like the lowest of low of lowest things you can do as a Jew. So just a heads up. 
The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here, dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. And you know what? I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. In the back of his mind, he's thinking, hmm, that's a good plan. Got it. Okay, script is ready. So the young son set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, kissed him all over, over and over with tender love. Then the son tried to croak out his little speech. Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Wow! What a story. And you've heard it many, many times. But usually the focus is on, oh, isn't it so sweet the father forgave his son? There was no forgiveness in this story. It wasn't forgiveness. It was an affirmation of sonship that was given. The son believed wrongly about his father that he would no longer be a son. So he came home with the mindset that he was not a son anymore because after all, he collected all of his inheritance, which is what you get when your parents go. So that means you're an orphan if you're getting that money. Right? That's what it means. So he lived in the mindset he was an orphan. The father says something powerful there. He shuts him up. Wouldn't let him finish his little speech. I don't think the... Some people say... The son came to his senses when he was in the pig field. Oh, darn, I screwed up. Do you think that's when he repented? I don't believe so. The, re- the change of mind? I think that was a partial change, mostly because he was hungry. Okay? There's a bit of motivation there to eat. Remember, he said, hey, my, my dad's place, they got tons of food, they're all good. So I'm going to doctor up a speech to try and at least get some food. Do you see the manipulation? This was an, a manipulation stunt. That's all this was. 
I believe the repentance came when the hugs and the kisses, the robe, the ring of sonship, when that was placed on him, there's nothing he could do. There wasn't a word he could say And it was truly there he was absolutely humbled and he died and became alive again. He was, the father said, uh, my son was dead. Where was he dead? Up here. He was dead in his mind, dead to the truth of who he really was. And when he woke up, he became alive to that reality that he truly was a son. And there was great celebration. This is the story of a loving father, not a prodigal son. Which also means, according to the story, if you want to, I don't want to overdo it, but it seems obvious to me. Sometimes you can, over, you can pick over too hard into a parable and, and make, uh, anyway, you know what I mean. The father was actually looking. He must have been waiting and watching for his son to come. Because if he's coming dressed up as a beggar from a long ways off, how can you really tell? Like, really? How can you tell it's your kid? Oh, wait. Parents can. There's something about the walk. There's something about spirit, recognizing spirit. The oneness of the father with the oneness of the son, even though the perception was not the same with the son. The father recognized his son coming and ran. In fact, some translation says he, he whipped up his skirt, so to speak, his cloak, to run, and he ran. It's the only picture in all of Scripture that resembles a picture of God running and not away from you, which is what I kind of thought growing up. I screwed up, so God runs away. Oh, I can't handle sin. Oh, you give it a cleaned up first, because oh, oh, oh. that's that's what I always thought God was like. So I had to get cleaned up to get back to God. That that's my upbringing. Not everybody here has the same upbringing, but it is pretty traditional in the West here. It was in my own mind. I never needed cleaning up. And by the way, God never left. There was no separation. So the problem with the son was he had a false concept of his father. And he lived it out according to his belief. Hmm, there's another son. Now, the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. (coughs) So he called over to one of the servants and asked, What's going on? The servant replied, It's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, Come on in, enjoy the feast with us. And the son said, Father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you? You can just hear the son do that, right? Okay, good. I'm not, I'm not making that up. Uh, performing every duty you were asked as a faithful son and never once disobeyed you. 
You've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But I look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, oh, my son. You are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he's alive and back with us again. He was lost, now is found. That's the end of that story. I find it interesting, first, that the story ends with a location of certain individuals. The one son who squandered everything, misbehaved, that guy, he was inside having a party. He didn't come home to get forgiven. He came home to get food. And he got a lot more than he bargained for. Because that's what his daddy was like. He had a misconception of his father, and his father corrected it. Turns out, from what we just read, so did the other son, who actually lived at home. He followed all the rules, never sinned, and now he's ticked off, jealous. I could have had all that fun, too. (laughs) That's what I was thinking when I was reading the story a long, long time ago. I was like, darn! (laughs) That's, that's not the point of the story. He was judgmental. And he, too, did not know who his father really was. He had a false image of his heavenly father. Sorry, the earthly father there. He had a false image and lived up to it, thinking, I have to do things to be accepted by my father. Performance-based acceptance. By the way, the other son kind of thought that, too, the opposite way. When I screwed up, I'm unacceptable. So by misbehaving, we think we're unacceptable to God. And for the, the um, stuck-up snob religious son, he, he thought he had to perform to be accepted. And he, man, he followed it to the letter of the law. I wonder which people groups Jesus was ref- trying to single out here. Clearly the Pharisees, the law keepers, and also sharing with the Gentiles. Look, you're included in this too. You're all my kids. This is a story of the loving father. Do you know who your daddy is? This is big. Father's Day is coming up soon, so it'll be kind of fun to zoom in on some of this then, not this parable, but concepts of your father, your heavenly father. Even if you had an earthly father, that was not at all a great example. You always have the one who is your example and representative and father and caregiver. This is good news. So let's talk about this God we say we believe in. How does he view humanity? There are people in our world who are thirsty. And he's referring to those who have a hunger. He says, hey, to those who are thirsty. And by the way, who creates the thirst to want to know who this God is? The Holy Spirit, God himself. On the last day in the New Living Translation, John 7, 37, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, 
not to the Jews. We're not Christians yet. So we're talking every people group type of person, believer, not believer, that was irrelevant. Irrelevant, he says. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. And then the Passion Translation says, then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, are all you thirsty ones, come to me, come to me and drink. Your Heavenly Father has provided all the needs for your thirst, for your spiritual thirst, and even your physical needs. He does provide. I don't see anybody here just walking around in their underwear with no clothes possible. It doesn't, you're, you're cared for. There is a level of care. There are other parts of the world, they barely have anything. We are filthy rich, you know that. Really, according to the world. In Matthew 11, he speaks to the weary, which is a lot of people. There are a lot of weary people. They need to hear that their Heavenly Father is speaking to the weary. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I like the Passion Translation. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Are you weary? Even as a Christian? Yeah, but if I say I'm weary, then, then I don't sound like I'm actually a good Christian anymore. Well, you stop and just be honest. It's not about being a good Christian. It's about recognizing your oneness with Jesus and starting to walk that out no matter how many times you screw up. No matter how many times. Are you weary? Are you parenting? Is it difficult? Do you have aging parents? Is it difficult? Are you weary? Your kids heading off of school? Are you weary? Are your kids really little and you're exhausted because they're running? <laughs> Do you have more than one? <laughs> Do you have three? <laughs> like, okay, and on and on it goes. Are you weary? Are you weary watching people who are weary? <laughs> Think about it. I'll just not call them for a little while. They're exhausting me. Your Heavenly Father is offering rest. And that does not mean inactivity. It means solical rest. An internal peace of knowing you don't have to control it. That's big. To those who are children. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Who are well schooled in deep systematic theology. Have got all the categories of how to be saved and who's saved. And got heaven figured out who's going to hell. All those people got it all figured out. Oh yeah, yeah, you come to me. It's not at all like that. This is called the simplicity of the love of God. Become like a child. Children don't know it all, right? And the older we get, we think we know it all. And that is a problem. That could be your very hindrance to experiencing the rest of God. 
I like this from the Passion. It says, Jesus overheard them and said, I want little children to come to me, so never interfere with them when they want to come. For heaven's kingdom realm is composed of beloved ones like these. Listen to this truth. No one will enter the kingdom realm of heaven unless he becomes like one of these. What had just happened before this, the kids were crowding around Jesus, and the disciples were saying, Kid, oh, kids, no, go away, go away. Jesus, you know, Jesus is for adults, because he's, he's speaking to them. These kids will never understand any of this. Get lost, kids. You're too young. You haven't even hit teenage years, and even then, that's really confusing. So you got to wait. Go away, kids. And Jesus says, oh, no. These kids don't have all the messy filters we do. Become like children. Remove the false concepts of who you think God is and find him to be pure love, pure grace, pure accepting. When you see God that way, I promise you start to see yourself that way. And the next step after seeing yourself that way is you start to see others that way. And then your whole life changes. You once were dead, and you can be alive. To those who weep, Second Kings, and we've seen a lot of weeping. How many have wept this in the last uh, month? Have you cried? Even from the soul, just, ugh, just tears. Sadness, who knows? You've had loss. You've had upset dreams, lost hopes. Hezekiah, go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestors, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. (laughs) Another word there for heal? Save. That's what saved means, sozo, healed. Have fun with that one. I've seen your tears. Your heavenly Father sees your tears. Even the ones that never come out of your eyes, the ones that are deep in the pit of your stomach in tightness of upsetness, those tears he sees. He sees beyond your physical expressions because we do like to control all of our expressions, don't we? Because we have an image to keep up. Psalm 56, 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Nobody knows you better than your heavenly Father. So if he's seen you in your tears, he's seen you in the ugliness of dumb mistakes and still collects your tears. We're talking, this is a seriously wrapped up loving God who is not put off by mistakes. He's drawn to them to be the extra arms of love around those who need it. He's not repelled by oopses and mistakes and even intentional mistakes. He's not repelled by those. He still loves you. 
Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. To those who weep, Psalm 23, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. Where's the tears in that one? I'll tell you where the the tears are. You know sheep are really stupid, right? Like really dumb? Okay. Part of the traits of a sheep is they're nosy. They'll get their head stuck in stuff. They'll hit uh, thorns and get scratches and all that stuff. The shepherd, in this particular last part, the oil is a healing oil. It goes on to those cuts, those bruises, as a way to heal the pain, to heal the sores, to be restored. This is a picture of a loving shepherd, one who's not put off by the annoyance of crazy sheep doing their thing and ever hear like hurting sheep? <laughs> yeah. Luke 6, God blesses you when you are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. The mourning will come to an end, M-O-U-R. It will come to an end. The tears will stop. They may happen again. It's fine. It's called life. We're not exempt from painful suffering in life. But we have one who walks through it with us, weeps when we weep, laughs when we laugh, cares about every tear, records them, puts them in a bottle. I think the image in the movie The Shack was so powerful. How the tears were collected and then put on top of the grave at the end and up out of the tears flows an unbelievable, beautiful plant, tree thing. Wow. If you haven't seen the movie, you've got to. John eleven thirty five. Where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. Then tears streamed down Jesus' face. King James Bible's translation says, and then Jesus wept. That doesn't mean a little trickle came down. If you look closely in the sun glare, it kind of hits it. You might see the teardrop. That's not at all it. He wept. Jesus, fully God, fully man, cries. I have a hunch based on some patterns, character patterns I've seen now. I believe he cried because he was human and identified with pain. I believe he caught the pain of the others, his own pain as a human. I'm sure there's a lot going on in his head, but I believe part of it was definitely identification with us. As a human, he cried. And God was there in him. Your heavenly Father's for you, not against you. Next time we come together, we're going to take a look at those who need love and how your Heavenly Father is love to those who need love. He's not abandoned you. We'll cover that next time. Who's your daddy? What's your perception of your Heavenly Father? 
Is he some old guy up on this really huge throne, unapproachable with seraphim on either side? Don't you dare come near with their swords and stuff. And, you know, unapproachable. Is he the old man in a rocking chair? Yeah, I created the world. You know, let's see how it's doing this century. <laughs> Still there, fine. There's that picture of God. There's the sheriff God who is just ready with his guns loaded for you to just cross that line. Oh, darn, almost had a chance. Oh, there you go, you just crossed that. Boom, sucker. Okay, there's that kind of a God just waiting for you to screw up. Mm -mm. And then you have your prodigal story. The story of the loving father. That is a more pure picture a better perspective that will draw you into relationship with this God you say you believe in. I believe many people in the church are hindered from authentic connection to God or relationship with God because they don't trust Him. It's a big scary monster. Jesus is the good guy. But God, we've covered this already, but they're the same. What you see of Jesus is the same of the Father. And they're not separated like that. They're actually one. Your God is good. We've got to stop telling people falsehoods, misinformation, fake news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray you bring a revelation to our minds of who you really are. And for those blockages in our head, those filters that are clogged with false conceptions, misconceptions, will you please begin to dismantle those things and replace it with your truth, your love, your goodness, so we can walk in grace far more consistently than we are, that you can be our grace for us, so we can start to trust you and come to you with every need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.